The Youthscape Podcast. Today we're re-showing this great podcast with Teresa and Jamie from the Eden Project. It's one of my favourites because as I sat interviewing them, I could just feel the weight of the cost on their lives of living among and serving such vulnerable young people. And they really open up about their own journey and the places, the really dark places that working with these young people has taken them to. So um, you will be moved, I warn you. You probably want to get somewhere where there are some hankies. It's a great, great interview. Enjoy. The Youthscape Podcast. Well, um, I'm delighted to be sat here in the Youthscape Towers with two people who I thought mistakenly had driven to Luton from Manchester this morning. <laughs> but actually, you've just come up the road from London. Welcome, Jamie, and welcome, Theresa. Now, I've written down your job descriptions. Theresa, you are the Development Manager for Message Trust. Yeah. Massive. <laughs> and Jamie, you are the Message London Hub leader, yes. connoisseur, director, boss, czar, something like that. Yes, yes, brilliant. So can we come to you first, Jamie? So the message, I think lots of folks will have a vague, like, yeah, the message trust, awesome, based in Manchester, produce fantastic bands. I mean, LZ7 have come out of that. Is, is there more to know about message? Tell us about the message. Yeah, so I think the reason a lot of people um, see the message as the band thing is because that's where we started, really. It's 25 years old now. Andy Hawthorne had an amazing vision for doing big mi- mission with bands across Manchester. Um, and basically what happened was loads of young people started to come to know Jesus yeah. uh, through the bands. And Andy uh, and the churches across Manchester faced this dilemma of young people coming to the church. What an amazing uh, dilemma. It was, it was beautiful, <laughs> it, it was amazing. And, yeah. and they basically said, Andy, uh, we love these guys coming, we're not prepared for them. We don't know exactly how to manage mm. them. Um, and that birthed kind of one of the other ministries as kind of three departments of the message. Um, mm. uh, we say the three C's, the first one is kind of... Um, Community is, transformation. No, the first one... Christ-centred enterprise. No, the, the, the creative last two, mission. Creative mission, yeah. <laughs> so the first one is creative mission. Wonderful. Um, and then we've got... Uh, Community, community transformation, Brilliant. which is the Eden teams, and yes. that was where Andy called for volunteers to move into communities, some of the toughest communities across Manchester, yeah. partner with local church, and uh, work with their neighbours. Yeah. Um, mainly focused on youth work, and then that spills over into all kind of community work. And I think the, the story of the Eden teams really ca- has really captured the church's imagination, hasn't it? This the sense that people would, would stop what they're doing or find a job locally that enables them to move close to young people and be there with them. Now, this is your story, Teresa, isn't it? So yeah. you, as well as being development manager for The Message, you yourself yeah. are an... E- do you, are you called Edenites? No, Tell us, so about a year ago, you were doing something very different, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, so um, I'm, my background is a, as a graphic designer, and um, so I was working for... Um, Electronic Arts, EA Games um, in Soho, working, doing graphics. And um, I just felt drawn to the model of Eden. I I was part of a church that was excellent, but I was doing youth work that wasn't anywhere near the church. And I I just felt a real heart to want to live in an area where it wasn't me doing youth work, but where we were 
doing community and we were you'd bump into the young people in the street or you could invite them around to your house or it felt a more I was going for more of a family feel mm. and um and I just loved the idea of Eden I loved that it was working with you know the kids that are just often forgotten about yeah, yeah. so yeah so I was still working as a graphic designer and then evenings and weekends volunteering in my local community right and but then you moved to Ladbrook Grove yep so I joined an Eden team yeah and suddenly your world changed. Yeah, um, yeah, it was incredible. And the first, I'd heard all these stories about Eden from Manchester and I fully expected that my house would get robbed uh, multiple times in the first, I remember my first night lying there just terrified thinking someone's gonna rob my house and, um, and knocking on my neighbor's door and, and mm. just saying, hi, I've moved, to, I've moved mm. into your block and, and very mixed responses. Mm. And I think, um, and the journey to becoming, making friends was um, slow, <laughs> slower than I'd anticipated, but now I've got friendships there mm. and it's, it's my home. And, um, and, and, this, and this really, I mean, I mean, I can imagine you now, like day one, knocking on the neighbor's door and probably thinking, I don't know what I'm saying about why I'm here. And, and, and I can imagine as well, this, this is youth work without a script, isn't it? This is youth work without a curriculum, there's not, uh, is that right? You're literally just being there and finding out what's going on and then literally responding to the needs. Absolutely. So I think the key, um, the, yeah, the key point, the element to raise is that we work with the local church. Yeah. So we work very close. So we're not, we don't just relocate okay, to an area right, okay. and then sort of, we do, we work with the local church. So the Eden team, the church um, employ the Eden team leader and then they build a whole family around the church which is wonderful because then you can you've got the accountability of the church but you've also got the wider body so yeah. you've got loads of mums and dads and grandmas at the church who all want to input into these young lives so it's not just our team it's That's much wider than that which i think is really important um yeah that's beautiful. And, and Jamie, I, I was chatting to you off air a little bit earlier about you've done youth work in some very different settings. So you've done youth work in, in rugby, mm -hmm. where you were saying there was no local youth work provision. And then you joined an Eden team and you moved to a part of London where there's a real mixed bag, isn't there? Real deprivation and real wealth. Just tell us a little bit about coming into a new area and how you pick up youth work in that setting. Yeah, so we're based in the Labrick Grove area, which is in Kenton and Chelsea. Uh, and we've got, I think... The, there was the, a road attached to the estate we were working on is the road that shares the highest level of wealth and the highest level of deprivation. So you've got a huge divide. One end of the street, you've got Holland Park, mm. where Simon Cowell lives, and the other end of the street, you've got um, a massive overcrowding and a community that's in the top 5% uh, of deprived mm. estates in the country. And so what that comes with, some things are exceptionally well-resourced. So, I mean, I love rugby to pieces. It's kind of where I grew up. Uh, but things like uh, our doctor surgery, when we moved to Kensington and Chelsea, all of a sudden, health provision, we were blown away with how easy it was to go mm. and see your doctor. And actually, in, in those provision side of things, it's very good, because Kensington and Chelsea's loaded. And um, when it comes to youth provision, there was lots of money poured into youth clubs so we had two amazing youth clubs on the estate we had just run by local authorities local yeah. authority yeah. or they've got history um interestingly one of them is called rugby portobello and that was <laughs> set up by rugby school back yeah. in the day yeah um and so 
that's a club uh, that does amazing work, amazing youth provision. Another one called Harrow Club, which was set up by Harrow School. Um, and the initial, initially, my job as team leader was to go in and just get to know the community. Like you said, we don't come in with a set program. Mm. We actually move in, and we, we uh, the first port of call is just to get to know the estate. So the first year, I, I really just did that. I met people. I met youth provision. And as I was seeing these amazing youth clubs, I was thinking, oh, like, what am I going to do? How yeah. could, it's not a competition, but how can I compete with what these, how can I really add anything? Mm. And what do we bring to the party, if you like? Yeah. Uh, and did you find what do we bring <laughs> to the party? Because uh, yeah. I think, before we get to that point, and I think everyone knows the answer is not squirrel, it's Jesus. Mm. But um, I think before we get there, it, it's such an important thing, isn't it? Because all of us listening to this, have been in that place where you're like, what have I got? What have I got to offer? Like, my church has no resources. I can't compete with the Sunday morning football club down the road. So, what is that extra piece? What is that missing piece? And, and take up the story, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's it, really. You've you've, you've ruined the end. I have ruined <laughs> it. Totally spoiled it. But we just, you know, we we're really passionate about squirrels. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. So no, so we we kind of if we were looking, we realised that. The resources are amazing, but the need is still massive. And actually, with all of these great resources, there's still massive gang problems. There was still young boys stabbing each other. We were working with kids that were so young and they're running drugs for adults. There's still organized crime. Um, and despite uh, lots of money being thrown at resources for young people, the problems that a lot of them were, I'm sure that they were less because of the, the excellent clubs Contained that we've got there. In some way, yeah. um, and so I'm sure that, that there are a lot of children that are being saved. Uh, mm. You know, their lives, their lives are, are being sent on a totally different tra- trajectory because mm. of the work of these amazing mm. youth clubs. Um, but we really felt that there was a place for, for Jesus to be shared. Mm. Um, and, and we thought, you know, we can, we can do that. That's mm. something we're really confident in. Um, and also, for me personally, Jesus totally mm. transformed my life uh, much more than any pool table or any recording facilities could. Yeah. And so we, it almost gave us permission to say, let's not, let's not um, try and create something that's already here on the estate. Let's really focus on trying mm. to share Jesus and do church and create, you know, mm. something of what Jesus had with his twelve disciples. Um, and, that, and that is a transformation of the heart, isn't it? Because I think we, we realise in culture and in youth work that you can, you can create policies and ideas and procedures and ways to respond, but actually that it's the heart, isn't it, of an individual person. Unless that is transformed, uh, brought to life, there is, there is no long-lasting change. You say there might be containment of what's happening, but actually the transformation that we all long for in culture only happens, doesn't it? Through that encounter with Christ, which is, and I think that's so exciting as youth workers to be really creative and really informed about the whole of a young person's life, working alongside local authority, work alongside the churches, because mm. we believe in the whole person is saved, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. Now, um, I want to go back to you, Teresa, because again, I, I hear that you have a story about being a nun or hanging oh. out with nuns or meeting nuns or. <laughs> well, I went on a bit of a journey of trying to um, work out what. I yeah I made up a phrase what's the most surrendered to Jesus I could become and I and I wanted to know what that looked like and what it really looked like um, 
So I went on a bit of a quest to find out, and wow. um, my dad had named me after Mother Teresa, which um, oh, was wow. quite was quite sweet. But I never really knew what, yeah. if it why, and um, and so yeah. So I decided to go to Calcutta and spent some time there with the missionaries of charity to try and work out if, in my mind, nuns are the most surrendered people. Yeah. They don't spend ages. Yeah. doing their hair or their makeup they basically go go they go to work and then they come home and it's all so boundaried and mm. set up well so I went there spent some time with them and when I was chatting to one of the nuns she said um do you think you're called to be a nun and I said I don't think so and so she said um she said being called to the world and living in it but not of it is the hardest calling she yeah. said you have to make decisions every day how long you spend on the internet how long you what you spend your money on and she said, go back into the world and make those decisions each day and make them really well and wisely. And I think since then I felt a real call to, um, yeah, sort of yeah. live sacrificially, but it, yeah. it looks quite different That's for me. That is, so, that is such a powerful <laughs> question, isn't it? How can I be the most surrendered? I was reading recently, um, you know that lovely quote, um, be who God made you to be and you'll set the world on fire. That, that's attributed to Catherine of Siena, who was living in around like 1145 or something. And that was her story. She was a nun. And then she really felt, one night she had this incredible spiritual encounter. And she remained a nun, but she felt Jesus say to her, um, you've come away from the world, now go back into the world. And, that, and, she, and that's so interesting, wow. that sense yeah. of the greater calling is, yeah. can you live surrendered yeah. here? Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. So, I mean, I can see like your face is completely lit up as you told that story has there been anything from that way of life that you've drawn into your everyday life would you say you have a monastic kind of rhythm Jim, to your life I would or? love to get a monastic rhythm I think for me it was that I, I learned that there, you don't there's rest in God and you do need to have rest but I think there's something about the way that the nuns live where they are prepared to be disturbed and they're prepared to be interrupted and they'll walk down the street and then if that because Everyone knows who they are. They can't yeah. hide because they've got a uniform on that everyone knows what they're, yeah. almost how they should be. There's an expectation yeah. on how they should be living. And so I think something like Eden, was it's a, it was a difficult decision to decide to relocate and join an Eden team because you're aware that you're essentially saying, God, use me 24-7. And that's not to say you, you don't have breaks and rest mm. and time off, but it's to say, um, God, yeah, I'm open, mm. use me. And I remember one one day I came back from work and there was a girl that was in our who I'd been mentoring, who was um, part of our youth club, who was sat on the doorstep and her dad had just beaten her up and and she was like, "Can you help me?" And that's when you're like, "This is this is family. This is this is your this is your whole life. You, you don't switch off from this." And I think for me that brought a realness um, mm. to following Jesus. You become a person of sanctuary, don't you? And yeah. your doorstep is a safe place. Thank you so much. Jamie, just to draw you in a bit on that, the, um, that lovely idea that young people see a nun walking down the street and kind of know, they know what she should be about. But I suppose as an Eden worker, that is exactly what you're doing. Like you, you're, you're only there because you're an Eden worker. Very quickly, the, the news gets around the local housing estate. Like, why is Jamie here? Who is he? Is he, like, is he a drug dealer? Like, what? This is so odd. Someone who's got all this time in the middle of the day and they're talking to teenagers. Like, that's a drug dealer. <laughs> so have, you, have you found that it has... Are you never the same again, basically, is what I'm saying, once you've kind of adopted the Eden approach? And what could we be learning in our youth ministry? Yeah, Massive I, I, questions I would say that I, I think when it absolutely... I'll never be the same. 
from my experience doing Eden. I think when I moved on to the estate when I decided to do Eden and, um, and relocated me and my wife, very similar to trees that we were kind of really nervous, uh, but also really excited. It was just real. And I think I kind of, at that point, I thought that we were the bringers of salvation. <laughs> I think we, we had misunderstood the gospel slightly and thought that uh, Jamie and Becky saw were, were the way that people got saved. And I remember we kind of moved on to the estate and, and the first day I said, Becky, I'm gonna go and knock the doors uh, in this block of flats we were in. And in my head, I thought people were gonna answer and the spirit of the Lord was gonna fall and they would just fall on their knees and start weeping, give their life to Jesus. And that was it, game over. I thought, mm. you know, it's long-term mission. We're here for at least five years, but I'll probably have the job done after five mm. weeks. And, um, and I remember like knocking the doors and the first door there was like no answer. And the next door there was no answer. And the third door, someone shouted through, who is it? And I went, it's your new neighbor. And I went, okay, see you later. And then finally a door opened. And I said to the lady that lived below us, who later became a really good friend, and we said, oh, hi, we're neighbours, just, I've just moved in upstairs, my name's Jamie, and she just went, mm, and shut the door in my face. And there was a moment where I thought, this might be slightly, <laughs> slightly different. Um, yeah. And we, we got, uh, we kind of inherited, there was a very, very small group of lads that had been connected through a little youth club that we did at the church at the time, and we kind of inherited them, there was about three of them, they were around about 11, and all of them had kind of, they were on the peripheries mm. of uh, local gangs, uh, or the local gang, uh, mainly just because they grew up and played out on the streets. And exactly. um, and that's what a lot of these yeah, you know, these gangs exactly. are. It's just basically mates that yeah. have grown up, girls and boys have grown up together, uh, and then when they hit an age where organised crime is, is playing mm. a part, all of a sudden things like postcodes become... Mm something that's just very very unpleasant so we were working with these boys 11 12 a lot of them were just running out three four they had all some kind of involvement with local gang and as we started to journey with them over the years that, that kind of number grew um, and interestingly we went on an amazing journey of faith with them but they were also going on this journey where they were growing deeper and deeper involved with the gang stuff and we had uh, three years in we had a, a lot of tragedy where we had um, a lot of stabbings, a lot of acid thrown, a lot of um, death, a lot, I mean we had a six month period of just mm. violence, you know, quite mm. severe violence, yeah. some resulting in people dying, yeah. uh, children, you know, yeah. 15, 16 year old boys, um, and we, and in that year, after those six months, I kind of had this, I suppose what my counsellor would say was a breakdown, mm. I still kind of like to pretend didn't have a breakdown but but really that's what it was yeah. um and i think it was the realization that i couldn't solve these guys problems probably brings me back to what i was yes. saying in the first yes. place what i realized was that actually for a long time from moving on for three years i thought i was the answer to these boys mm. problems it was mainly boys we were working with then we're working with more girls as well now um and it was this moment of realization that i wasn't enough no matter how much I opened my front door to them, no matter how much I invited these guys in, how much I went and, and supported their mums and yeah. got involved with the tensions and with the school. And by this point, we were involved with social services yeah. and local police because they realised we were connecting with boys 
but yes. nobody else was. Yeah. And so they didn't really care if we were Christian or not. They yeah. just cared that we could have some input. Um, but despite all of that, actually the thing that was really going to transform these guys was a, a serious mm-hmm. encounter with God. Mm-hmm. And where we were seeing that happen, we were seeing incredible choices being made. Yeah. We were seeing boys make decisions. Yeah. And we were seeing little miracles along the way, you know. Of, um, and so, yeah, so it, it, I was changed by the revelation yeah. almost that I am not yeah. the answer, yeah. which I thought I knew, like yeah. I knew it in my head, but it hadn't translated to my... It's so true that all mm. of us, and, it, and we are changed by the pain, aren't we? Mm. If we allow God to allow that to teach us, then actually it moves us into a place, actually what you're saying to is of surrender, mm. that we are not the answer, and yet incredibly in God's plan and purposes, he says in your weakness, in your brokenness, and as you realise mm. you're not the answer, I'm going to come and empower and actually I'm going to use you as, this, as a sign that points to me what I can do. Jamie, thank you for sharing that. Because again, I think we want these podcasts to be not just about information and new ideas, but the reality, the rawness of loving young people in Jesus' name. Even when that means we see no outcome, like no fruit, we have to trust that God is doing something bigger than we can see and more beautiful. I think the, the moment that summed that up for me in my Eden journey was in this year, it was 2014, and we just had tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. And I had to go to the doctor, and this newly qualified doctor about a week bawled my eyes out on him, and yeah. told him all these good. things, and then got counselling. But still, in the midst of it, I felt quite abandoned by God. You know, you read about these guys in the Old Testament, especially being like, God, where are yeah. you? You've let me down. And that's what I felt like. I felt like I'd been promised something that he hadn't delivered on. And then in the December of 2014, I had a young, one of our lads came up to me and he said, uh, Jamie, I gave my life to Jesus in the summer and we've been praying and we've had the worst year of our life. But if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have gotten through it. Why haven't you baptized me yet? And it was this moment where I looked over my shoulder and I realized that Jesus had been in the midst mm. every tragedy we'd had i mean we, we'd gone to boys funerals and prayed and we'd supported all of the lads mm. and we'd visited boys in prison and written letters to them and, mm. and as you looked over your shoulder you realized jesus was right in the midst of it and actually had been an, an unbelievable support yeah. to these lads yeah. um and so i think that was a moment Yes. where I realised exactly Turning what you just point. said yeah. you know Jesus was in it yeah. unfortunately when we get involved with the mess of the world it gets messy mm-hmm. and and to, to step out of our bubbles our comfortable lives and we make a decision it's not all about things stopping being horrible it's sometimes about the escalation journeying <laughs> yeah and, and journeying and yeah. realising and if the church doesn't realise it no how can we yes, help it absolutely oh, it's beautiful isn't it I think it's a challenge for us isn't it we have we, we to, to kind of acknowledge sometimes that we that Jesus will never fulfil our false hopes he mm. will never fulfil them but he always fulfils broken hopes mm. and I think there's something about that isn't it that's quite powerful that there's a realisation of saying actually my, where my ego got in here and I got wounded and hurt because I love these young people and because I thought that somehow I was the answer. Mm. I'm picking all of that. He's a mess, isn't it? Oh, but yeah. thank you so much for showing that. The council had a lot of fun on picking it. Brit, Brit loved <laughs> it. Took it. a few years. It's called Saviour Complex, I think. Oh, we all have it. <laughs> <laughs> thank the Lord that the 
one person that does have it is allowed to have it. It's got us under his wings. I love it. Jamie, thank you. It's so good. Men cry. Women cry. We need to wail, don't we, mm. if we're in the if we're in the, uh, well, the court ministry. Often. No, do I have, have a little cry now? I'm all about facilitating a little sob. I think sobbing's good. Guys, I'd love it. I, I guess people are sort of listening thinking, oh, I want to hear a bit more about the Eden story, and particularly anybody listening here who's from London, because you guys are based in London, and you're sort of chatting with churches, and you're looking at ways to... In, encourage and inspire churches who have these kind of broken hopes that they can do something for the local authority, for the local young people, sorry. Who, how can they get in touch with you, Teresa? How could they get in touch with you? So they are welcome to contact us directly. We'd always love to chat to somebody. We are really up for coming to people's churches and sharing yeah. the heart behind Eden and the heart behind um, sharing some of our experience. Is this specifically London or anywhere now? So that would be specifically yeah. London. London um, and then if we have, we do have a conference called Proximity, which is in May, which is the 11th to the 12th of May, which oh, is in is. Manchester. And that's a weekend um, to explore urban mission. So um, if anybody is interested, that that's sounds fantastic. great. Absolutely. And we do have Eden teams all over the country as yes. well. Yeah. So we've got like everywhere. We've got them not only in this country. We've got them in Scotland and Wales and Canada. South Africa, <laughs> Canada. Oh, wow. so, so give us the website then: We're just checking on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it's worth just saying uh, again: it's. Uh, I don't know if we have entirely said it's about we move into the top 10% of deprived communities um, and we populate the teams with people who work during the day and volunteer during the evenings and weekends but everybody moves on to the estate is the idea and we're always always keen to explore with people it's quite a long process because we don't ask people to do it on a whim so if people do start the process um, we journey with people and if you think it's something I'm interested in but it just sounds a bit too much then still get in touch and you're welcome just to yeah. come and meet us and see what Eden teams do. And the truth is it's much less daunting in mm. reality. Um, often when we do interviews yeah, like this, story, you only it? end up talking about you know these pivotal moments. Mm. I was on the estate for like six years and the vast majority of it was just about having young yeah. people around our house, journeying with mums. And most, the vast majority of it is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, but you usually have a few defining stories that have a significant impact yeah. on, on... And actually, life. often the stories that will connect with us as well and, and make yeah. us say, actually, yes, I could do that, I could be yeah. in that space. Have we found out what the website yeah, is? Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely joineden.org. So joineden.org. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This podcast was first published in March 2018. The Youthscape podcast will be back with brand new episodes this September.